Hey, Jeremy's back with us. Amen. Can you get around? Yeah. 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 Woo. Woo. So, but, uh, I know him. <laughs> I don't know him. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Well, that's enough. Well, it's uh, it's good to be back. Glad to. Told you I'd visit sometimes here, here and there, and just take a step in. Sometimes just come listen. Sometimes maybe say a few words. And gosh, um, when I ran into people I haven't seen since I stopped attending Harvest and and whatnot, and did a job change and and everything, usually they've been asking me, you know, what's going on in your life? You know, what what's the Lord been doing for you? What's what's going on? This and that. And so I just want to, you know, just tell you a little bit about that first. Maybe take just a minute or two, not even five. You say the Lord's been um, the message I want to give tonight is the is really the thing the Lord's been speaking to me about for I'd say the past month and a half to two months. Both biblically, He's been speaking to me about it, and then life application, just things that have gone on in my life. Just looking at it like, where did this come from? I I didn't see this coming in a million years. So, any anybody decided to speak to me through His Word about it at the same time. So I intend on sharing with that or sharing that to you tonight. I've been attending so far, just been attending First Baptist Church in Norco. Uh, it's a really small church, between 80 and 100 people, roughly. It's, it's pretty good so far. It's been really cool. Uh, it's been a blessing. Got to attend their Wednesday night service. Be going there again tomorrow, and it's cool. I'm um, not sure if my feet are going to plant there permanently. Still got a couple other places to check out and whatnot. Just, just being free and enjoying where the Lord would have me go on a day-in, day-out, week-to-week basis, seeing what He will do in my life and seeing what I can do for the Lord. And um, that's almost it, so I don't know what the Lord's doing. So that's good for now, and um, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Job. You can go to Job chapter 1. I want to do something. If you can put your finger or your... Put your finger at Job chapter 1. I want to read something to you guys first. They do this at the church I've been going to, and I know they do it at another church I know of, and I uh, just thought maybe we could do it tonight. It's nothing big. I just want to read a chapter out of the Psalms before we even read this. This chapter really doesn't have anything to do with the study. It's just to get your mindset spiritually, get your mindset biblically, get your mindset of the Lord. I know we've been worshiping and taking communion and all that. So if you've got your finger at Job chapter 1 or your Bible marker, go ahead and turn to Psalms 19. Excuse me. It should only be like... 20, 30 pages after Job chapter 1 or so. Psalms chapter 19, if you have the inspired version, it's page 456. That's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, come on. Psalms chapter 19, I just want to read the chapter, then we'll get into the study. I just want to read it. Just follow along as you read, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. So let's, let's hear the Word of God. Psalms chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes, goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word to us, Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And we ask for our souls to be revived tonight, Lord. We may have done damage to our souls this week, Lord. We may have done harm to ourselves with sin. But we ask, Lord, that you would revive our soul. Lord, your word also says that you restore our souls. And we just pray that you would restore our soul tonight, Lord. Lord, we just come before you, open hearts, open minds, Lord. And we pray that we would be open to your word and what you would teach us, God that there would be no human interjection here, Lord, but it would just be all your word, and we'd hear it willingly, we'd accept it willingly, we'd obey it, we'd follow it, because we know we are most joyful, most satisfied, God, when we're in tune with you, when we're glorifying you, God, not when we're putting ourselves up on a pedestal. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us, and you would take center stage, in Jesus' name, amen. Job chapter 1. I couldn't really think of a title for this message, so if there has to be one, it will be, Will You Still Believe When Trials and Tribulations Come? Will You Still Believe When Trials and Tribulations Come? What in the world does that mean? I don't know. That's why I said I couldn't think of a topic. Anyways, this is very dear to my heart. The Lord has impressed this message on my heart for the past month and a half to two months. Just situation after situation after situation after, you guessed it, situation. And after verse, after verse, after verse, after you guessed it, after verse. The Lord has been ministering this to me. This is the thing I've noticed. We go to church in and out weekly, daily sometimes. We come to Bible study, we get together and we fellowship. And what's one thing we talk about? We talk about trials and we talk about tribulations. Right? Problems and situations. We talk about these things. We, we read the Bible and see what it says about them. So that way we can stand when they come. But what I see, here's the problem. I see we do a lot of talking and not enough walking. That means, I believe that we talk about them a whole lot. We listen to a lot of messages about trials, a lot of messages about tribulation, especially when we're going through them. We go listen to a message about it. But then we turn around and what we thought was going to happen doesn't happen. And a different trial hits or maybe another trial hits. Something else gets packed on and we freak out. We're, we don't know what to do. We're like, oh my gosh, what, what, what do I do now? It just never ends. It keeps going. It just won't stop. My life keeps getting harder. So-and-so died. Now so-and-so's sick. Now this just happened. My boss is saying this to me. Just trials keep happening. And the reason I bring this message to you is because this is something, no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, this will come to you at some point in another. You will have a trial or tribulation, or many of them in your life at some point now or later. It will happen. Maybe you've gone through some pretty serious stuff. I don't bring to the table like, 
I'm the person who's gone through the most trials and tribulations ever in the world, and I know the most about them, and oh, it's all easy, and yada, yada, yada. No, that's not it. But I have gone through my fair share, I wouldn't say fair share, but I've gone through a few trials, a few tribulations in, in my life, in my home, different places. I know Josh has gone through his. I, I know some of you have gone through yours. But the problem, I think, comes is not that we don't listen to enough messages, not that we don't read our Bibles enough, but I think it's that we have a wrong view on trials and tribulations. If I can sum it up in one sentence as to what the problem is, this is it. We don't stand when trials and tribulations arrive because we have a wrong view of where they come from and why they come. We don't understand why trials and tribulations come into our lives, and we don't understand where they come from. Whether it be a trial because of sin, whether it just be a trial, it just happened. Where does it come from? What's the source? Who did it? When did they do it? Why did they do it? Or did I do it? Was it something I caused in my life because I don't see how I could have caused this? Was it something the devil did? Or let me raise this question. Was it something God did? I intend purposely to rattle your cages tonight, I hope. Maybe you're already strong grounded in this. But we're going to read some scriptures that kind of don't set easy when we first read them. And I think that's because at, at our core, at our sinful core, at our flesh, we're humanistic. We want what's good for us and only what's good for us. We want easy street. And that's not the way life always works. Life doesn't always deal us the royal flush in poker, now does it? Uh-uh, sometimes you can't even get a pair of deuces. And it's like, what's going on? Okay, I know. I know. Uh, all right. Anyways, I'm not condoning gambling, I'm just using an illustration. <laughs> Work out your own salvation. Anyways, you guys know the story of Job? All right. All right, you guys know the story of Job, right, Job? Good guy, Lord says he's an upright man, goes bragging about him even. It's going to be cool if the Lord bragged about you, right? So what's the devil do? Oh, let me at him. Let me take all that he's got. He won't love you, God. He won't stay faithful to you. So Job didn't commit a sin, but yet he goes through these massive trials. His family dies off. He ends up getting, what is it, boils all over his body. He has to scrape them off with a pot, a broken pot, right? Ugh. Goes through hard time, can't sleep, is in tears over this. I mean, just crazy stuff is happening to Job. His world in one day takes a complete U-turn, and he didn't do anything except stand faithful for God. What's up with that? What's up with that? Why does Job go through this? He didn't do nothing. The Lord bragged about him. And people will raise the question, what a mean God that is. Allowing Job to go through that. But listen, we're going to draw some points here. And read some scriptures. Why did Job go through what he went through? How does that apply to us? Where did those trials come from? Where did Job's trials come from? Where did his sickness come from? Where did the people dying in his family come from? Most people would say Satan. And in essence, you're right. But listen to what Job chapter 1 says, verse 21 and 22. Job doesn't credit it to Satan. 
He says, And he said, Job, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Heavy verses, heavy verses. Job chapter 2, still same topic. Verse 9, Job's wife says to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish, foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That word evil there, some of your translations might translate it disaster or calamity. Those are accurate translations also. If I'm not mistaken, the Hebrew word is raw. can mean evil, can mean disaster, you know, all kinds of things like that. He says, shall we not receive it from God? This is why. There's two views on, on the book of Job. Two views. Or on this theology, on this doctrine. There's two overall views, and I like to look at it as a pyramid. Okay? You start on one side, but eat, both views will take you to the same spot. You'll, you'll end up meeting at the same spot. God is in control, right? God's sovereign. He, he controls everything, right? He's, he's the man in charge. You know, he tells the wave when to crash. He tells the wind when to blow. He calms the ocean. He calms the, the storm. Rain doesn't drop without his permission. The devil can't touch you without his permission. So whether you say God allowed, keyword, God allowed this trial and tribulation, or God ordained or decreed the trials and tribulation, you will end up at the same point. No, God didn't strike Job with the boils. No, God didn't you know, necessarily kill off or you know, send the raiders in to take out his family, but he certainly allowed Satan to do it, didn't he? He was the authority behind what was going on. He allowed it to happen. He allows us to breathe even though we've sinned against Him. He allows us to live. So what, whatever you like to say, because I don't know what view each person holds here. I've talked to a lot of different people and they all hold different ones. You're going to meet at the same point. God's in control. He's got His hand over the situation. Ultimately, it comes from Him. Ultimately, your trials come from God. That's crazy. What does the author say about what Job said? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job did not sin by saying, Hey, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we not receive good from God and shall we not also receive evil, disaster, calamity, trials, tribulations, problems, situations? However you want to translate the word, it's fine with me. Shall we not receive both from the Lord? The problem why that or the reason why that comes unsettling to us is because we have a wrong view. When I first read that in my Bible, I was shook up. I was like, and that wasn't a month ago. That was a long time ago I've read this. I was like, what? That can't be right. There's got to be some crazy explanation. Some theologian's got to have it right, right? Somebody's got to have a, a good... And I said, haven't come across one yet. Other than it is what it says, and it means what it says. But how does Job's story end? Job chapter 42, you can turn there. There's an overall point to all this. Please don't stop listening right now because you will endure trials and tribulations in your life. If you haven't already, you will. And if you already have, you will again. Don't worry. They'll come. Don't worry. 
Well, how will you stand? Job 42, last chapter in Job, if you're looking for it. So read verse 10 through 17. This is how Job's story ends. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil the Lord had brought upon him. Same word again, disaster, trials, tribulations, tragedy, whatever. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemimiah, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuch. I don't know how to say that. And in the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. The overall point of this message is when trials come, they are given from the Lord. When they are taken away, they are taken away from the Lord. God has the ultimate say in all of it. He may allow the devil to come in and attack you, but who's going to be the one that stops the devil when he tries to go too far? The Lord. When your trial comes, don't think it didn't pass through God's sovereign hand. Don't think it caught God on surprise. Oh, whoa, whoa. They got the flu. Whoa. How did that happen? He knew it was coming. Oh, what are you doing here? Did you die? Oh, you shouldn't be. I, didn't, I thought you were going to be here for another week. He holds life in his hand. He breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve both. He holds life and death in his hand. You read in Job, I think it's Job 14, that God has the number of our days already set. He is the one who gives breath. He is the one who takes breath. I had this guy in Australia, on Swatcha, he was all mad at God for, if, if God exists, he said. He thought God was messed up for the, the hurricanes and the typhoon and the whole deal and everything going on. And, and I'm like, really? I'm like, God's not free to control the weather however he sees fit? You think that hurricane took God by surprise? What did man ever give God that we owe God or that God owes us anything? God didn't owe us anything, but oh, He freely gives so much. God controls weather. God controls hurricanes. That didn't catch Him on surprise. He wasn't like, whoops! No, He had a plan and a purpose through all of it, through each and every person's life, whether they lived, whether they died. He had a plan and a purpose through everything. You read the story of Joseph. You guys know the story. I don't need to explain it to you. But at the end of the story of Joseph, Genesis 45, 5-7 says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you, Joseph's brothers, right, sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. Genesis 50, 19-20, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What about John chapter 9? Where they asked about the man, they said, was this, why is this man sick? What's wrong with this man? What, did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but this man's ailment was given that the works of God might be shown. Proper response. We're going to read a verse. Go to Jeremiah chapter 32. Just going to draw it together a little bit. If it seems confusing, please just stick with me. Did you guys know the, the Lord rejoices over doing us good? He rejoices over it. Seriously, He rejoices over doing us good. Over blessing you, He rejoices. That's crazy. Can you ever, could you ever think about that? God rejoices over something? Jeremiah 32. He's talking about the new covenant. And Luke 22 explains that a little more. It was purchased by Christ's blood, right? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All of God's promises are yes in Christ. So this covenant is not an Old Testament covenant. It's the new covenant that it's speaking about. Jeremiah 32, verse 37, starting there. It says, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good. Let me repeat that. I will, God says, make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good or doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. Speaking about his kids here. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. All of it. How much is all of God's heart? God's heart is infinite because God is an infinite being. God's soul is infinite. So infinitely, He plans to do us good. He plans to keep us from turning from Him. He will never turn away from doing good to us. Here's the issue. We think when trials come, God is not being good to us. We think He's being bad to us. God is out for your good. Okay? He's out for that in one way. His glory. God is glorified by doing good to you. He's glorified. He shows His righteousness, Romans 3 tells us, by forgiving our sins. That's how God shows His righteousness. By dying on the cross for us and forgiving our sins. What a trial that was. Jesus on the cross. Went through a huge... Excuse me. Had a big dinner. Jesus had the hugest trial. Sorry, I, I had it. It's coming up, man. But anyways, Jesus had... The Lord had the hugest trial ever. 
You don't think it was wrong that they were whipping him on the back? You don't think that was a sin? Oh, it was. But what was that all to bring about? A greater good. When Joseph got shipped off, his brothers sold him into slavery. God sent him through a trial, through many tribulations, through prison, so that he could do good to many people. So that way when the famine came, people had food to eat. That's why you don't read of Joseph complaining. He had a right perspective. He knew, even though he was going through hard times, he knew where the hand that was driving was really coming from. And he was blessed in the end. Job. Nope, not curse curse God and die. No way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given, he's taken away. And what did the Lord do for him at the end? Blessed him twice as much. Gave him way more. He said, you know what, Job? I'm just going to give to you. Does everybody know what humanism is? said that phrase a couple times. A couple people maybe not know. I want to read you a definition of humanism. This is what it is right here. Humanism is a doctrine, attitude, or way of life centered on human interests or values, especially a philosophy that usually rejects supernaturalism, belief in God, and stresses an individual's dignity and worth and capacity for self-realization through reason. Or in other words, it's all about me. We live in a society, we live in a culture that's all about me. What can God do for me? What can you do for me? What can my job do for me? What can I get out of this? Do you know that's not what you were created for? You were not created for you. I was not created for me. You weren't created for your plans and your desires. I was not created for my plans and my desires. From AmericanHumanist.org, they have this on their homepage. Humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that without supernaturalism affirms our ability or responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good of humanity. That chance. But living the it's all about me life, living the life of what can God do for me life, and there's a context to it, you'll hear it. We've already read that God rejoices in doing us good with all his heart and all his soul. So obviously God does do stuff for us. But there's there's a difference here between us. God, you've got to do this for me. You ask the majority of Americans if they pray, they will tell you, yes I do. Oh, I pray every night. God forgive me, God bless me, God give to me, God do for me, please give me. There's no thought or mention of God receive glory for yourself. Glorify yourself in my life. Glorify yourself by doing good to me, Lord. Do whatever it takes to glorify your name through me. Because that's when I'll be most happy, when you're being most glorified. When you are put up on the throne When you are viewed as the all-satisfying King of kings and Lord of lords, that's when I will be happiest. Not when I have all my desires fulfilled. Not when I'm married. And can I say this one? Not when I finally get to have sex. Guys, I'm being blunt. All these desires, all these hopes in life that we think will fulfill us, that we struggle with, that we deal with day in and day out, the TV shows we watch, that we think bring us happiness, It's not it. It's null and void. 
Somebody tell me, why were you created? Anybody? Why were you created? What's your purpose? Huh? Love God. To love God, okay. Anyone else? To worship God. To worship God, okay. Anyone else? Bring God glory. Bring God glory. Anyone else? Be real. Be real. Whatever you think. Okay, good enough. All right. I love all those answers. Very accurate. Isaiah 43.7 says this, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. You were created for God's glory. You were created to glorify God. That will happen through many ways. Loving Him, worshiping Him, spending time with Him, telling about Him. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. You were created for God. God wasn't created for you. That is a beautiful sounding piece of scripture right there. Because we slip, we fall, we make mistakes, we're not perfect, but there is one who is. And that's God. We are created for Him. Psalms 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. Corinthians also tells us, we are not our own, we were bought with a price. Heavy verse right here. Romans 9, verse 20 through 21 says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? What ha- why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? That's got a lot in it. We're going to stick to what we're talking about tonight. Has the potter no right over the clay? Some of us, we go through a lot heavier trials than someone else, huh? We go through situations that are just crazy compared to what somebody else is going through. Why God? Why me? Deliver me. Well, I can't get out. What's wrong with this? Nothing nothing wrong with praying deliver me, Wood. Nothing wrong with that. It's very biblical. But why is it when we go through trials, we start doubting the Lord? Lord, did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Is this punishment for me? What is this about? Mm-mm. This isn't about your punishment. That was already taken care of 2,000 years ago. This is about my glory. This is about me showing you something about myself that is so great and so grand that you will be happy. You will rejoice. I will rejoice over doing you good. And God doing us the best good is giving us Himself. God's not a glory hog. It's not just like, well, I've got to get all my glory and you can't have nothing and blah, blah, blah. No. When you glorify God, that's when you're most happy. God has to, hear me out, God has to give you himself as good, otherwise he'd give you something less than good. Who is good but God? No. What is greater than God? No one. Who is greater than God? No one. Who's more loving than God? No one. So if God gave you anything less than himself, he wouldn't be giving you the best. His best gift to us was his own self. So when it says God is love, and you receive love, you receive him. You've been given the best already. So no matter what trial you go through, look for the glory of God in that. 
Where is God in this trial? What's going on? Where is He in this situation? I know it's a huge, huge problem in my life, but what is God doing? Where is this going to end up to where someone is strengthening their faith? I won't say who, but I had someone fairly recently, more than twice my age, a little bit over twice my age, tell me this. You can't just have faith in God for everything. I just want to say, why do I even read my Bible? Why do I even go to church then? If I can't have faith in God for everything, what's the point? Why do you even read your Bible? I, th- I thought you were a Christian. Because they were. They tell me that. I love the Lord, they said. But then they tell me you can't have faith in God for everything. You better have faith in God for everything. You better be dependent on the Lord for every single one of your needs. Because guess what? When that trial comes, where are you going to get your answer? How are you going to know that God's going to carry you through? How are you going to know that you're going to make it okay? That this is going to end for your good and God's glory all in the same boat. They're not two different things. This will end out for your good and it will end out for God's glory. Just let Him take care of it. Don't worry. See? He's testifying. He's like, listen! (laughs) See? I'm just kidding. I want to read you a verse in, a couple verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is an appropriate response to trials and tribulations. Paul acknowledges something that I think we should all acknowledge. What great... Do you guys see... I, I hope... I don't know if I'm even putting it right, but do you see how freeing this is if you really acknowledge all things are from the Lord? If you really acknowledge that God is in control of the trial that's going on in your life, that it's not going to go too far because He won't allow it, but it's not going to go fully easy street because He won't allow that either because then you're not going to glorify Him. You're just going to go like... Faith in God for what? Everything's easy. I don't have any problems. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Hear that? It was given to him. Where do you think that came from? It was given to him in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. See, there's nothing wrong with pleading with the Lord, with crying out to God. Make your request known to God, the Bible says. Nothing wrong with praying about these needs, asking God to remove this tribulation. But when it all comes down to it, listen, it says three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So it wasn't comfortable. This wasn't something that made Paul live on easy street his whole life. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see that? God's glory and His happiness all in one? Listen, you'll see it. My grace is sufficient for you. God is pouring out sustaining grace on His life. He's giving Him the grace to get through. He says, This trial will not overtake you. My grace is sufficient. Though it hurts, Trust that my power is made perfect in weakness. So what does Paul say? An appropriate response. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's power, God's glory, God's grace, your life. They're not two different things. They're one. You hear that? Jeremiah said, or quotes God by saying, I will rejoice in doing them good. Good doesn't always mean easy street. Good doesn't always mean times will go well. Good means God will work out His glory in your life and you will be most happy and most satisfied than you've ever been. Christ's power will be perfected in your life. You want, you want perfected power or no power? Where's the grace in this, Jeremy? Where's the grace, you say? There's a lot of grace right here. Job 41.11, the Lord says this, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God owns everything. He owns the stars. He owns the planets. He owns you. He owns every breath you breathe and it's given to you as a gift. He owns all the fish in the sea. He owns all the water they swim in. He could take all the water away if he wanted to. Make them all, make them all die. It's his. He can do it to whatever he wants. But what does he choose to do? I will rejoice in doing them good. I will not turn away from doing them good and I will keep them from turning away from me. Spurgeon said this, there is nothing in this world to foster a Christian's piety. Meaning there's nothing in this world. This world will give you absolutely nothing to love God more. To be more like Christ. Nothing. That's what you'll find if you go outside the Lord. And you, go, you try to step outside of that trial. You try to step outside that tribulation. You start looking at it wrong. Well, well how, can, how can I fix this? God, God, stop doing that. I want to do this. You're doing this and I want to do this. Get in line. Because you're going to step into the world and you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable. Romans 11, 34, 35, we read, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? So God owns everything, right? Who's given anything to the Lord that he might be repaid? What have you ever given to God that God has to repay you? Nothing. Nothing. The only thing you'll ever get wages for, and this is only if you're outside Christ, is your sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you want to work for salvation, you'll be given death. You'll be given your due. Your works, even your righteous works, your good works, are as filthy rags, Isaiah says. So, listen, maybe you're thinking right now, well, I don't like the way the Lord does things. Can He make me happy some other way? Can He glorify Himself in my life other than a trial? Can He do something else? I don't like the way I feel in this trial. I don't like what's going on. I want something else. I don't like what God's doing here. God owns you. That's all there is to it. That's the final answer. Well, I don't like that. It takes all the way back to the illustration of the car and gasoline. You're driving your car and you're like, man, I don't like the price I have to pay for gas. It's too expensive. So I'm just going to fill my trunk up with sand and whenever I run out of gas, I'll just pour some sand in there be on my merry way. What happens if you put sand in your gas tank? The car breaks down. What happens if you put anything else but the Lord in your life, even through trials? 
you break down. You stop working right. You stop living right. I want to close with these verses. Romans chapter 4, please turn there. Hope I'm making sense tonight, guys. Sorry if I'm not. This is where the grace comes in. You want to, if you want to act as if God owes you something, like He, God doesn't have the right to allow, ordain, decree, however you want to say it, to let you go through trials, you don't think God doesn't have the right to do that, to glorify Himself through that, to make His power perfected in your weakness, to let His power rest on you? This is what you're asking for. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Don't take faith in God. You take works. You want to go your own way. You can tell this to your non-believing friends. I don't want it God's way. I want it my way. God owes me big. You don't, God messed up my life by letting these trials come in. I had great plans. I was going to do this, and I was going to do that, and I was going to go here, and I was going to go there, and God messed it all up. He took me here. He took me there. made me go here. wanted me to go there. And you want to relate to God by works and not by faith and just trusting Him? You will get your due. What does it do for works? Death. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It is a gift. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but trusts. I love that word. Trusts. Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing to the, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. You say, Jeremy, what in the world does that have to do with trials? What does that have anything to do with trials? Has everything to do with trials? There's going to come a point where you're going to face a big trial called death. You might be on a sickbed someday knowing you're about to die unless the Lord comes through with a miraculous healing. You might come down with cancer I might. Who knows? Maybe a scary thing to think about. Maybe not if you got the right view. What is going to keep you from trusting God in that situation? Because the enemy would love, if you're on a sickbed with cancer, he would love to come in and tell you that this punishment from God. That you better straighten your act up or else you're going to go to hell. He would love to come in and tempt you with that. He would love to throw that trial your way. But to him who works, you try to straighten your act up, you live the life of faith, and all of a sudden you start trying to straighten your act up the last two weeks you're going to live. See what's wrong with that picture? Trust the one who justifies the ungodly. Because you might go through a sickness trial. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to try to work for God? Are you going to try to work your way through that trial? Or are you going to trust Him? If you can't trust God with your trials, how are you going to trust Him when you step onto the other side of eternity to carry you into the presence of God, to look God eye to eye and know and believe that God's going to say, well done, come on in. Enter into the joy 
of your master. You can't trust him here. How are you going to trust him there? Because you don't think on your deathbed that every sin you've ever done is going to come into your brain? God can't love you. Make you try to shipwreck your faith on your deathbed? The enemy thinks this is the last chance he's got. But who's going to preserve you? The Lord. Who's going to do you good, even right there? Who's going to glorify his name with you on your sickbed where you can't do anything? God will. Have no fear. God's in control. I use that potter and the clay. I want to close with this illustration. Sometimes we don't like to hear God as a potter with the clay. He, he allows trials, lets them go as, as he pleases, and glorifies himself through them. I love how John Corson puts this, because we, we believe in a loving God, right? So if God's allowing this crazy trial to happen in our lives, and he's molding us, and he's shaping us in his image, and his hands are right there, shaping us to clay, putting us on the wheel, pushing, pressing, turning, molding, what do you see right on those hands? You see nail prints. Closest thing to you are his hands. You're going to see those nail prints. You've got to be at the cross all the time. In trials and tribulations, you've got to run to the cross. You've got to know that God has purchased eternal life for you. He's purchased all your blessings. Everything is already purchased. It's already done. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. It's done, past tense. So as he molds you and shapes you, even, even if he has to press a little bit harder on that potter's wheel to form you into that beautiful vase, or whatever he's forming you into, just, just take a look around yourself as you're spinning around and you don't know what's going on. And every time you pass those hands, you see these holes. Know that those are holes of love. Those are hands of love that are on you. Not hands of a God that's just wringing your neck. That's why I'm pressing you hard. No, he's out to do you good. I love that illustration. That's all I got. I don't know if that made sense. Amen. Amen. Um, I just have a quick word to share with you guys. I hope it's quick. Let me get you guys out. But, um, problems and situations, trials and tribulations. You know, we all go through them. We all deal with them all day, every day, and it never stops. How do you keep a smile on your face? And how do you make it not fake? I'm a Christian. Everything's okay. <laughs> God bless you. You know? And that's what we see in the church, you know, day in and day out. And that's what we see people trying to put on this front. But as Jeremy talks about, just having a true joy and a true satisfaction and true, real rest and peace in your heart in each day. It's knowing where it comes from, that's for sure. And I just want to point out something just here in uh, Psalms chapter 3 and then one other scripture real quick. But it's a perfect picture of what we just talked about. David, King David, you know him, the one who knocked down Goliath. Everybody was singing songs. It was on the radio about how awesome and mighty David was because he knocked him down. But look at oh David once again in a little trouble. Psalm chapter 3. And I want this to be a passage that you can look to when you're in problems. And look back to Job and read the last chapter, read those last 13 verses or whatever it was, and see that the outcome is going to be good, and know that a Red Sea is only there so that it can be parted. Know that the rain only comes so that the rainbow can come out. Know that. Check David out right here. I love this. He's mad. He's bummed out. Verse 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? 
How are there so many of them? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul. And what does he say? There is no help for him in God. Oh, David. The man after God's own heart. There is no help for the one who chases after God. There's no help for him. There's no help for me. And it says Selah there, meaning that he took a long break. Funny. David, the man after God's own heart, even in distress, take heart. You will face many trials in this world, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I believe that David had to sit back and take a rest for a bit. Look what he says. It's what we just sang. After he has rested for a bit, maybe meditated, maybe he popped in one of Jeremy's messages and started listening, and all of a sudden he finds himself at rest once again, realizing that it's his king, the same one who knocked down the giant standing there, the same one who, who raised him up to be king of Israel. He hears his voice, and he says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And what does he say in verse 4? I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of this holy hill. He heard me. Jeremiah 33 says, Call upon me. God's phone number, 333. Jeremiah 333. You need to write that down. It's his phone number. He says, Call unto me, and I will hear you, and show you great and mighty things which you have never seen. Call upon me, and I will hear you. Did you hear that? The creator of the entire universe. That's right. Entire, think how big that is. Here's the universe. Here's our solar system. Here's the sun. Here's the earth. Um, North America. Uh, California. Uh, uh, Riverside and Robert Hill's house. Here you are. Call upon me and I will hear you. He waits for you. I cried unto the Lord with a loud voice, or I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me on his holy hill. Selah, again he rests. I laid me down and slept. Uh, it looks like he took a nap. I awakened, for the Lord sustained me. See, David was at rest at his heart. He was able to take a nap because he realized that the Lord had heard him. And you need to be able to do that tonight. Have we prayed today? Have we lifted up situations in our lives? Today. Me and you have prayed for situations before the study started, before we got into the Word, and God has heard us. And David says, from, so since this has happened, verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people. How many of us are afraid of one person, our boss or our family member, our friend? <laughs> I will not be afraid of 10,000 people. They have set themselves against me and found... and. and they have set themselves against me round about. And, and he calls upon the Lord and he says, Arise. This should be our prayer right here. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Who's this people? That's yeah, me and you. And why did I bring that up? Why did I bring it to the table? Because... I believe it parallels with the Acts 2.42. What we've been talking about the last four weeks and breaking down this and understanding each thing individually. We talked about worship. Spending time with the Lord. What that really meant. Psalms 103. Do you remember? We talked about communion. 1 Corinthians 11. 
the breaking of bread, the agape feast. We talked about fellowship the next week and true fellowship and what that means. And obviously the Word of God which we speak of today is what we need. And what we are going to do within the study, listen friend, listen, this, this is it, I'll close this up. We are going to practice all four elements because why? I know, or all five elements, including worship. Acts 2.42 says, They continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in breaking of bread, and in fellowship. They continued steadfastly. And the next verse says that they feared God because of that. And they went from house to house doing that. And so we are going to do that. Why? Because number one, prayer. Why do we need to come to this place and pray? Because you don't want to know why? You're going through trials and tribulations, problems and situations all week long. And you know what? We talk a lot about how we pray, but we don't, do we? How much time do we really spend with the King? How much time do we get to spend with the King? I want this to be a place right here, and I know Robert the same thing. This is a place that you can come to and be built up, not a place that you come to build up. You should not be going to church to build it, you should be going to church to be built. You know what church today is for a lot of people? I gotta get involved. I gotta serve. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta do this. And pressure from the authority. You gotta get involved. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. The only person who should be getting involved is the one who is prompted within their heart. You want to know what your ministry is right now if you're not prompted in your heart to serve at the church and to do what God has called you to do there? It's whatever you're doing. What are you doing for work? Where is your family at? What about your friends? That is your ministry. Start to do that. Chase after that with everything that you have. That is what you are supposed to be doing. Do not go to the church to build, but to be built up. The church is not a building to be built. It's a body that needs to be built. And I want you to come to this place. And I want us to be able to pray for one another and lay hands on one another. And be able to go to the king individually and cast our burden upon him and receive rest. To come here and realize that He is in control. Realize who He is and what He's done for us. Realize that He's put every trial and tribulation into play and that He understands it through and through. That He's not the afflictor, but He has allowed it to happen. And that He's going to take care of it. He sees past, present, and future. You know the problem you're going through right now? God sees it finished, done, complete. The rainbow's already in the sky. The Red Sea is parted and you're walking on dry ground. And you need to be able to come here and to be at rest in that. And that's why I want you to be able to come here and pray. You need to be able to come here and to pray. Not talk about it. We're a whole lot of hearers of the Word, aren't we? We come in here 45 minutes, a couple times a week. But how much do we do 45 minutes? Man, I want to be doers. And I want you guys to too. And I know you, when you come in contact with the King and you realize who He is and what He's done, and you see Him for who He is... He continues to be glorified within your life and you are happy in that. You've got to see God for who He is. And that's why we do the teaching of the Word of God so you can see Him clearly. Why do we take communion? For motivation! Remember, we need our first love. What is our first love? We've got to remember what Jesus has done for us. You want to know why this pastor is burnt out after 30 years? It's because they stopped taking communion. When's the last time you think a pastor who's been in, in leadership for 30 years or been doing a church who actually got in his face in his bedroom by himself and says, Jesus! I remember that you have died for me. I know what this represents. I know what this represents. I drink of this and take and praise your name and realize that and there's great motivation more than I've ever felt in my life because I recognize what you've done. 
And that we should be continuing to recognize what Christ has done for us every single day of our lives that we are motivated and encouraged and ready to go in our day. Do you understand that? We are not to do things in repetition that they become vain, Jesus says to us. But can we do things in repetition? Don't let it become vain in your life. Don't let Jesus being crucified on the cross become vain when you see that. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. What? Don't let it become vain. Drink of that cup and eat of that bread and understand what Jesus has done for you. He may be motivated and that we would have true fellowship the last thing, of course. Robert, I want you to come to this place and be filled, my man. Jay, come on! We need to come here and encourage one another and lay hands and build each other up. We must be a family. And so we will not only be hearers, but we will be doers. Do you understand? We will be doers. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to just listen. We're going to go full blast in the name of Jesus and remember our King for all of our days. So as we go from house to house, place to place, hey, if you're in a restaurant, remember the King. Take that guacamole and say, thank you for your body broken for me. Take the water and say, Lord, I've remembered what you've done for me. If you don't have juice and cracker, it's okay. You don't have to be locked in tradition. Take communion. Pray. Get into this thing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so I impart that to you that you come even next week and the weeks following. And I pray that one day would come, brothers and sisters, that we would meet together every night and talk about Jesus and hang out. If the Lord wills it, just like in the book of Acts, just like back in the day with the apostles and the disciples. You will be done, King. And we come to you even this time. And I thank you, Lord, for this group. Oh, Jesus, why have you brought them here? It's because of you, of course. Amen. I agree. And I pray, Lord, that you would be lifted up here, that you would be exalted, that our lives would be used to just show you glory, Lord. That our lives, as we walk away from this place, as people see the glow, it wouldn't be because we whiten our teeth, Lord, but it would be because they see Jesus in us. They would look into our lives and want to praise God before, because of what they see in us, Lord. That's what we desire. We come here for motivation. We come here to be built up and strengthened in You, Lord, so that we can show people You. You're awesome. You are love. You are great and mighty, and You deserve to be shown to the whole world. God, don't hold back anymore. Don't let them not be able to see you pull back the scales, rip the enemy out of this city, and use this group. May revival start in our hearts in this moment, in this time, right now, Jesus. We are ready. Let your spirit fall upon this place in a fresh way. We are ready. Whatever you want, show us what to do. We are available to give glory unto you. Here we are, Jesus. Here we are. This is your study. This is your church. Here we are, your people.
We're going to follow you all our days. We lift ourselves into your hands, living sacrifice, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen.